Welcome to the Prince College Podcast. We are so thankful that you've tuned in. Our hope with this podcast is that it teaches you more about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for you. With that in mind, let's dive right in. Can you do me a favor and give it up for the band one more time? Hey. That was good. That was good. Hey, I'm so thankful that you have joined us tonight. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Adam Tarver, and I'm the college pastor here at Prince. And like Emma said just a few moments ago, we are so thrilled that you drive out to Bogart on a Wednesday night and lift high the name of Jesus with us. That's what we're all about in this place. And we are continuing in our series that we started last week that we are calling Kingdom Now. And the heartbeat of the series is this. This series is going to take us all through the fall semester. And it's a series that's focusing on a sermon that comes from Jesus himself. It's a sermon that we commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And the heartbeat, the point, the reason why we are doing this series is this, is that we want to understand that life following Jesus, life in the kingdom is not something that we're meant to enter into passively. It's meant to be something that we engage in actively, that life in the kingdom is not just about praying a prayer and waiting for a moment where we die and join God in eternity. Life in the kingdom is about participating in what Jesus is doing here and now. And I'm really excited about this series. If you were with us last week, you know we kicked it off by covering this section that we call the Beatitudes. And what we talked about last week was this idea that as Jesus begins to cast this vision for life in the kingdom, life as it should be, he begins with who we are meant to be. He gets at the heart at who we are meant to be. He talks about the posture of our heart because whenever it comes to Jesus, who always comes before do. And we talked about that before we ever step foot in the kingdom, we must first recognize our need for the king. That's where we were last week. And where we pick up tonight, Jesus transitions from that, from transitions from telling us who we are meant to be, and he begins to tell us what we are meant to do. His grand vision for his disciples, those who have trusted and followed him. I want you to remember something as we read these words, as we study this together, that Jesus is giving this message, giving this vision to his close disciples. This isn't just for the crowds that were following him at random. These were for the people who were trusting and following him. He begins to lay out this vision, and we begin to see what he has called us to do, his grand vision for those who trust and follow him. And I love this passage of Scripture that we're going to cover tonight. This is one of those passages of Scripture that's just meant a lot to me over the course of my life. It's one that I return to often. Perhaps you have a passage of Scripture like that in your life. As a matter of fact, As I was preparing for tonight, I came across this old prayer card that I wrote. And uh, the date on this, I know you can't read this, but the date on this is December 17th, 2019. So we're almost two years ago now. And just to give you a little context about what was going on in my life in December of 2019, I had recently gotten married. We're coming up on two years with Jillian and I. Really excited for that. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's great. Um, 
Jillian and I had gotten married in November. This was our first like real semester in college ministry. I started the job at Prince in January, so I kind of started halfway through the school year, and it was just kind of learning the church, learning the college ministry. And so that fall was my first like legitimate start to a school year and doing college ministry. And at the end of that semester, after I got married, after I had a little bit of time to breathe uh, over Christmas break, I wrote this little prayer card just for Prince College. It says this up top. And it's actually got a couple of the verses that we're going to study tonight. Because what I began to pray two years ago for this ministry is that we would be a city on a hill. I began to pray that we as a ministry would shine brightly for the glory of our king. That was my prayer for you, for us, two years ago. And it's still my prayer for you and my prayer for us now. So I just want to just, I'm really thankful for this passage of scripture. We're in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. I'm reading in the ESV. It's going to be on the screens behind me. Right after Jesus gives the Beatitudes, he says to his disciples, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here it is. This is it. After Jesus concludes this teaching of the Beatitudes of who we are meant to be, he begins to cast this vision. And what he says is that we're meant to be salt and light. That we are beginning, he's calling us, as he's calling us to be a part of ushering in the kingdom of God, the metaphor, the analogy that he uses is that we're meant to be salt and light. But just like last week, whenever we took some time to really examine what the Beatitudes actually mean, we got to do that here. We got to ask ourselves the question, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? What does it mean that he calls us to be salt and light? And to understand this in full, we need to take a moment to think about what salt and light are used for. What are their purposes? What is Jesus trying to illustrate with this metaphor? So we're going to take these one at a time. We're going to talk about salt first. And you need to understand that as Jesus calls us to be the salt of the world, we must take a moment to realize that during Jesus' day, salt had two primary purposes. Salt was used for two primary things. The first was very similar to the way that you and I would use salt, that salt was used to enhance the flavor of food. Pretty self-explanatory. You've experienced this. Everybody has the experience of like going through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, getting some Chick-fil-A waffle fries, and they don't quite have enough salt on them, and it's a real huge letdown, right? Anybody else experience this? It's really frustrating. You were looking forward to those golden brown waffle fries, perfectly salted, and they weren't. They were kind of mushy and bland, and so you complain, and they give you 18 coupons because they're the best company in the world, right? Like, we've had this experience. Salt is used to enhance the flavor of food. It was used that way in Jesus' day. It's used that way now, that salt is meant to enhance the flavor of food. But they had a second use for salt, and it 
it's not really anything that we do today, not as much at least, and definitely not in our modern American context, that they actually use salt as a preservative. They use salt to prevent decay in their food because obviously back in Jesus' day, over 2,000 years ago, they didn't have a refrigerator to put their groceries in, right? And so they needed something that was going to keep their meat from going bad. And so they would do what, they, what is commonly known as salt curing their meat. Perhaps you've heard that term before. I don't know how all the science works. If you want to know how the science works, you can talk to my wife. She studied food science. I did not. Okay, but what I do know is that you cover the meat in salt, and the salt keeps the meat from breaking down and so that it's able to be used for a longer period of time, so that it's not spoiled, so that it prevents decay. So whenever Jesus tells his disciples, whenever he tells us that we are the salt of the world, he's saying that we're meant to live our lives in a way that preserves and enhances the flavor of our world. That we're meant to live our lives as his followers in a way that preserves and enhances the flavor of our world. That as followers of Jesus, that our lives are not meant to be bland and boring. That's not the life that Jesus has called us to. Our lives as believers ought to have a purifying and flavor-enhancing effect on the world around us. And what that means is this, that we're meant to live lives of purity and of love, and we're meant to move into the world where there is brokenness, where there is decay, and we're meant to display a better way. We're meant to display a better way of living, and as such, our lives are meant to have a purifying effect on the world around us us, but they're also meant to have a flavor-enhancing effect, that each one of you in this room tonight, you are all created uniquely by God, that you have special giftings, you have ways that he has wired you, gifts that other people do not, and you're meant to use those gifts for the glory of God and for the good of those that are around you. You're meant to live in a way that preserves and enhances the flavor of our world. I was studying this week, and I read this in a commentary. I love this. One of the commentators said that disciples of Jesus, if they're true to their calling, make the earth a purer and more palatable place. I love that. That's how we're meant to live. We're meant to live in a way that preserves and enhances the flavor of our world. We're called to be the salt of the earth. And then Jesus transitions the metaphor. And he begins to talk about light. And he says, you are the light of the world. And I, I want us to grasp the magnitude of this for a moment. It's easy, especially if you've been in church for a while, to breeze over something like this. But you've got to understand that this is incredibly significant that Jesus is saying this about his disciples. Because later in Jesus' ministry... Specifically in John 8, verse 12, and John 9, verse 5, Jesus, Jesus would say this about himself. He would say to those who were there, he would say, I am the light of the world. Jesus would declare that about his own self. And so the fact that he's saying that about us, those who trust and follow him, is an incredible honor. And it comes with incredible responsibility. Jesus calls us to be the light of the world. And the purposes of light are pretty obvious. 
that light exists to expel the darkness. Light illuminates and eliminates the darkness. That is what light does. And Jesus is saying here that we are meant to live our lives in a way that we put the light within us on display for the world to see. The light that is within us as a result of being united in relationship with him. This is not something that we created. This is not something that we manufacture, but whenever our lives are united to him, he shines in us and is meant to shine through us. And we're not meant to hide the light that shines within us. We're not meant to shy away from the fact that we belong to Jesus. We're not meant to hide the fact that we're followers of Jesus because we're scared of what the culture may think. We're not meant to hide the fact that we're trying to live lives for the glory of God because we're worried about the social consequences. We do not put our light under a basket, but we put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to the whole house. We are meant to engage in such a way that we put this light on display so that others may see our good deeds, the way that we live our lives, and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Notice, he's not saying that you're meant to do all these good things, put this light on display so that people will look at you. The light's not for you. You're not shining a spotlight on you. You're meant to be shining a spotlight on Jesus, that the way that you live your life is meant to bring much glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are called to be salt. You are called to be light. So the question then becomes, what does this look like for us? How do we take this truth that Jesus proclaimed to his disciples over 2,000 years ago and put it into practice in our lives? Because those of us in the room who are trying to trust and follow Jesus, now we are his disciples too. So how do we take this truth and apply it to our lives as college students and young adults living in 2021? How do we begin to live out the vision of the kingdom now? There are two things in this text that I believe that are going to help us do just that in our day. Two things that Jesus is calling us to that I want us to pay attention to tonight. Two things that I believe will help us live out this truth and begin to see glimpses of the kingdom now. The first one is this. It's going to be on the screens behind me. That in this text, Jesus is calling for participants, not spectators. Jesus is calling for participants, not spectators. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this. There's a massive difference between a participant and a spectator. We understand this, right? The spectators, they sit comfortably at a distance. They watch, they comment, they critique, but they're not a part of the action. They love to be vocal. They love to share their opinions. And whenever things are going good, they love to celebrate like somehow they're a part of the action. But whenever things go poorly, They're the first ones to complain. They're the first ones to moan. They're the first ones to talk about how they would have done things differently, but they're not actually a part of the actions. They cannot influence the outcome because they're just spectators. You understand this, right? We see this all over the place. We see it a lot during college football season. We see this a lot. It seems like, you know this experience, it seems like during football season, everyone becomes like an armchair quarterback. You know what I mean? Like we're sitting in our living room, we're watching TV, we're watching the game on TV, and whenever you're sitting in the comfort of your own living room, it's really easy to see when JT Daniels misses the wide open receiver. 
It's really easy to see whenever that running back doesn't hit the hole that was wide open. It's really easy to see when that linebacker missed the tackle. So what do we do? We stand up, we yell, we scream, we get mad at the TV. Tyler Bruno knows what I'm talking about. We get upset. We get fired up. What are you doing? How did you miss that? He was wide open. Why did you miss this? We critique, we comment, we criticize, and then we sit back down and take another bite of our buffalo chicken dip and watch the next play because we have no way of influencing the outcome because we're, we're spectators. We're not participants. And that's a funny example. That's a funny analogy. But the sad reality is this, that our churches today are filled with a lot of spectators. Our churches today are filled with a lot of spectators. This is especially true of our churches in the West, our churches in our own country, in our own context. We have churches filled with people who love to sit at a distance in the comfort of their own affluence, in the comfort of their own living rooms, in the comfort of their own homes. And we love to talk about whenever tragedy comes, whenever something difficult happens, we love to speak up. We love to be vocal about it. We love to share about it on social media. We love to talk about it with our friends, but we just sit in the comfort of our own realities, never really engaging. We comment, we critique, but we never truly help. That's the reality of many of our churches today. And Jesus is calling us to something so much different than that. That is so far away from what God designed the church to be. Jesus is calling us to, so much, to something so much different. He doesn't want, want spectators. He wants participants. Understand this. This is significant. Understand this. Life in the kingdom is not a spectator sport. Life in the kingdom is an invitation to participate alongside the king. That's what life in the kingdom is. It's not a spectator sport. It's easy to be a spectator. There's no risk required. It's much more difficult to be a participant, but that's what Jesus is calling us to whenever he calls us to be salt and light. Just think about it logically with me, right? Like salt is only useful if it's actually put on food, right? Like if I had food that was bland and I complained that there wasn't salty enough while salt just sat in the, the little shaker, I'd be an idiot. That'd be ridiculous. Salt is only useful if you actually put it on the food. Light is most useful in places of darkness. So to fulfill this vision that Jesus is casting for us, we actually have to get out of our seats we actually got to move into the world. We have to give up the comfort of spectating and begin the work of participating. We have to live a life that is different. We must be in the world, interacting with those who are hurting, spending time with people who are far from God and living differently among them. We must be walking in the midst of the brokenness while not participating in it. We must follow the example of our king. That's what he did for us, and we're meant to do the same. This world, we talked about this last week, there is so much brokenness. There is so much darkness. There is so much decay. We don't have to look far to see it, but you need to understand that in the midst of the decay and in the midst of the darkness, we have the solution, and we're called to be a part of the solution. 
that the solution to decay and darkness is salt and light. But we will not be effective as citizens of the kingdom if we don't go to where we are needed. And I want you to understand that. Jesus is calling us to move into the world, to participate, not just spectate, to be amongst the brokenness and to display a better way. But we got to ask ourselves again, what does this look like? How are we meant to do that? It seems a little overwhelming, right? Like there's a lot of darkness in the world. And perhaps you do have friends who don't know Jesus, who don't walk with God, and they've got questions that you don't have answers to. So does this mean I've got to have all the answers to all the questions? Does this mean I've got to live a picture-perfect life, and we got to always live in fear of messing up because we're scared that if we mess up, then somehow we've harmed our witness? What does this mean? Do I just need to try more, try harder, work harder, do more? No. Listen to the second point. The second point is this, that Jesus is calling for proximity, not performance. Jesus is calling for proximity, not performance. Now, we gotta take a moment, what do I mean by that? I think that many of us, whether we'd say it aloud or not, we kinda have this misconception whenever it comes to God. We have this misconception whenever it comes to Jesus. Whenever we think about a relationship with Jesus, we kinda picture Jesus or the Lord up in the sky, up in heaven, just kind of watching our lives and giving us this like spiritual performance evaluation. I think that's how we think about God sometimes. And so we think that whenever we wake up in the morning and we open our Bible and we spend time reading, we spend time in prayer, he's up there with like some kind of spiritual rubric and he's giving us like plus two for doing our quiet time. And then whenever we're riding to school or riding to class or riding to work and we got our music playing in our radio and we actually accidentally say a bad word along with the song, song the thing, he like takes two points off. Right? Like we think like that. And we think that whenever we mess up, whenever we fall short, whenever we fail, we think that we've got to work harder, that we've got to do some kind of spiritual extra credit so that we'll be in God's good graces, so that we'll continue to pass the test. That could not be more far from the truth. That could not be further from the truth. In reality, Jesus is concerned about your heart. He wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to be in close proximity to him. He wants you to draw near to him because that he knows that as we do that, as we draw near to him, we do the work of drawing closer to him. The more time that we spend with him, the more time that we spend in his presence, the more like him we will become. He knows that our inward disposition will determine our outward action. That our inward disposition will determine our outward action. The condition of our hearts will determine the way by which we live. We know this because this is what Jesus consistently teaches throughout the gospel. He's concerned about your heart. He wants to be in relationship with you. He's not grading you by some spiritual rubric. He wants you. We see this all over the Gospels. We see it in places like John chapter 15, where Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he's calling his disciples to bear much fruit, which means to live a life that is consistent with the kingdom, to live a life that is characteristic of the kingdom. And he's calling them to bear much fruit in their lives, and whenever he instructs them on how to do so, he says an overwhelming amount of times in John 15 that his number one instruction is this, Abide 
in me. Abide in me. That word abide means to remain closely connected. So in this teaching, I got it right here. It's going to be on the screen. behind me. John 15, 4 and 5. This is it. Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Here it is. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is calling us to focus on proximity, not performance. He wants you to remain closely connected to him because he knows that the closer connected you are to him, your performance is going to follow. Your life is going to change. The more time that you spend with him, the more that you will begin to live the life that he has called you to because he will change you from the inside out, not the outside in. He's calling you for proximity, not performance. We're going to see this in the weeks to come as we continue to study the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gets intensely practical about really specific areas of our lives. And what we're going to see is that our relationship with Jesus is meant to change everything about who we are. It's meant to change the way that we relate to others. It's meant to change the way that we speak to and the way that we speak about other people. It's going to change the way that we view those who are marginalized and who are on the outcast of society that we'll move towards them, not recoil from them. It's going to change the way that we, mis- we treat those who mistreat us, that we're not going to move forward with vengeance, but we're going to move forward with the spirit of reconciliation. We're not going to respond in hate. We're going to respond in love. It's going to change the way that we seek to be a part of the solution to the darkness in our world, that we're not going to look to ourselves, but we're going to lift our eyes to our king, and we're going to become people of prayer running to our God, seeking to be in communion with him, that as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us, and he will change us from the inside out. He will change the way that we move into the world. Just go back to the analogy of light that he uses here. That in this analogy, I just want you to understand that Jesus calls us to be the light of the world, but we must realize that the brightness of a light, so how brightly a light shines is directly tied to the strength of its power source. You understand that? That if a light's power source is weak, then the light will shine dimly. But if the light's power source is strong, then the light will shine brightly. But if the light is disconnected from its power source, it won't shine at all. And the same is true for you. If you desire to be a part of what God is doing in the world, if you desire to be a disciple of Jesus and to shine brightly for the glory of your king, you need to focus on proximity, not performance. You need to draw near to him. You need to cultivate time in your day to spend time with the king so that you can be molded and shaped into his image, that you can become the man or the woman that he is calling you to be. You don't have to have all the right answers. You don't have to live a perfect life. You need to focus on getting close to your savior. You focus on proximity, not performance. Now I realize that as I say that, there may be a couple of responses in the room. 
There may be some of you who think that sounds a little too simplistic, right? Like the, the answer is just to spend more time with Jesus and I'm going to become more like, like, give me things to do, Adam. Like I want action steps. There might be some of you in the room, you're the doers, you're the type A people. You want activity. You want to know what we are to do to conquer the brokenness in our day. And this answer may sound a little too simplistic. There might be some of you in the room who don't feel that way at all, but you feel a little ashamed. You feel a little inadequate or incapable because whenever you hear me talk about being a part of the solution, shining brightly for the glory of your king, shining into the darkness, you're beginning to think there's no way that God could use me. You don't know what I've done. I'm a part of the darkness. There's no way that he could shine through me. Wherever you fall, on that spectrum, whether you're the person that wants to do more, try harder, or you're the person that thinks that there's no way that you can be a part of what God is doing here, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind all of us of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That the good news of the gospel of Jesus is this, that we were all, every single one of us in this room, every single person that has ever breathed breath on this earth, save one, we were all separated from God as a result of our sin. Every single one of us, we all have rebelled against God and run from him because we have not allowed him to be the one in control of our lives. We desired our own control, our own authority, so we rebelled against God, and our rebellion created nothing but decay and darkness. But the good news of the gospel is this that Jesus left heaven to come to earth, that he stepped into the decay and darkness to give us new life, that he lived the life that we could not, that he walked among the brokenness, he walked among the decay, he walked among the darkness, and yet never participated even once. He lived a life without sin. He lived a life that we could not, and at the end of his life, he surrendered his life. He laid down his life, and he became the perfect sacrifice for our rebellion, yours and mine, that our rebellion deserves just punishment, and Jesus took that on the cross on your behalf. He died your death so that you could be brought to new life. That on the cross, he surrendered his life to pay for the sins of the world. And then three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating the powers of sin and darkness and decay and darkness. And he is the true salt and light. And he's the source of it all. And what the Bible teaches us is that those who trust and follow Jesus, those who surrender their lives to him, that the same power that rose Christ from the grave now lives in you. That's what the Bible teaches us. And I want you to understand that. See, we have this misconception, I think. Whenever we think about the gospel, a lot of us think this. A lot of us think that Jesus came and he did what he did so that we could get to heaven one day. That Jesus came and did what he did so that we could pray a prayer and that we could get to heaven one day. I want you to understand something really key and really significant here. That the gospel is so much bigger than that. The gospel is so much more than that. That Jesus did not just come and do what he did so that you could get he into heaven one day. Jesus came and did what he did to get heaven into you. To get heaven into you. 
so that you could shine brightly, that whenever you surrender your life to Jesus and whenever you begin to follow him, you have his spirit and his power burning in you, that you have a source of light within you. And listen to this. Whenever you have a source of light, you are meant to become a source of light. Whenever you have a source of light, you are meant to become a source of light. I'm going to tell you one more story as we wrap up here tonight just to illustrate this point a little further. Whenever I was really young, like about 10 years old, I remember my family and I, we got the opportunity to go spelunking. I don't know if you know what spelunking is. It's cave exploring. We got the opportunity to go deep into this cave in Tennessee. No idea how we got this opportunity, but let me tell you, for a 10-year-old, it was the dream. Okay, like we're exploring this cave, we're climbing under rocks and over rocks, we're trying to fit through like really small crevices, we got these hard hats on with these lights on our head, and we're like working our way through these caves, sliding down hills, it was awesome. And then there comes a moment where our guide, he brings us into this massive open cavern, and he has us to sit down, and he begins to explain to us that we're hundreds of feet underground, and that there's no source of natural light. And he begins to tell us that because of our modern society and the advent of electricity, most human beings have never truly experienced true darkness. That whenever you lie down, whenever you go to bed at night, usually there's some kind of exterior light so that you can at least see a little bit. And so he began to explain to us that there was no natural light so that if we turned off our lights, we'd experience true darkness. And so he has us all sit down in this cavern and we all shut off our lights. And the darkness was overwhelming. I mean, like, I'm waving my hand in front of my face, and I can't see it. it for, at first, it was kind of comical, right? But he was, he was a little mean, and he, like, let us sit in it for a while, and it got, like, really creepy really fast. And it was like, this darkness was overwhelming. This darkness was frightening. And I'm ashamed to tell you a little bit that I was a 10-year-old kid, and I got a little scared. So I was, like, the one lame kid that turned my light back on. Right? Like, that was me. You can make fun of me later. It's fine. Like, I was the lame kid that sitting in the back. I was like, oh, this is too scary. And I turned my headlamp back on. And as soon as I turned my headlamp back on, my one headlamp illuminated that cavern. Because light, it goes a long way in the darkness. It goes a long way in the darkness. And I tell you that to tell you this, that if you're in here tonight and you feel overwhelmed by the darkness that you are facing, whether in your own life personally or just the darkness that we experience in our world at large, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that if you belong to Jesus, I want to remind you of the light that burns within you. That this isn't about you. This isn't about your ability to overcome the darkness. This is about your ability to cling to the one who has. And if you belong to Jesus, then you can take heart because the one who has overcome the world now lives in you. You can take heart because the one who has shined into the darkness, the darkness will never overcome him. And as the light of God shines within you, it is meant to shine through you. And a little bit of light goes a long way in the darkness. But I want you to understand something more than that. I want you to understand, and I want to remind you of this, that as the people of God, we're never meant to operate on our own. This is why God gave us the church. 
were meant to operate together. The church was never meant to be filled with spectators. It was meant to be filled with participants that were meant to interact and, ex- and experience and be a part of the vision of the kingdom together. And whenever a group of people like this rally together, a group of people who as individuals are connected to the source of light, connected to the light of the world, whenever we as believers, disciples, followers of Jesus gather together, we're meant to shine brightly for the glory of our King. And hear this, whenever we gather together and we shine together, we're not going to be like fearful, anxious, 10-year-old Adam in a cave with a little headlamp. Whenever we gather together with the commitment to pursue Jesus, we'll be like 92,000 fans in Sanford Stadium lighting it up. That's what we're meant to do. That's who we're meant to be. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of just spectating. I want to participate I want to be a part of what God is doing in this city. I want to be a part of seeing the darkness flee at the name of Jesus. And I want you to as well. But understand that for us to interact with this vision, for us to participate in this, it starts by us as individuals pursuing Jesus individually. It starts by you waking up tomorrow morning and getting on your knees It starts by you reading your Bible and seeing how you can apply it to your life. It starts with you pursuing Jesus personally, spending time with him, and starting to become more like him. And then, as all of us do that as individuals, it looks like us rallying together committing to pursue Jesus together and to move out in the world together. Not focused on performance, but focused on proximity, committed to being participants and not spectators. Prince College, this has been my prayer for you for two years, and it's still my prayer for you now. I desperately, desperately want us to be a city on a hill. I desperately want us to see God do amazing things in us and see God do amazing things through us. I'm not about packing this room and doing this every week just for the sake of doing it. That's not why we're here. Couldn't care less about it. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And I want you to join in on that mission that we trust and we follow Jesus wherever he leads. And we will see the kingdom now. Would you pray with me? I don't know where you're at tonight. Perhaps you're in this room and you've never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus. I want you to know before you ever interact with this, before you ever become a part of this vision, you need that source of light in you. And before you can ever be a source of light, you need a source of light. And I want you to know that if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you can do that right now. You can do that right now. You can commit to following him now. Maybe you're in this room. Maybe you're in this room. And you have committed to following Jesus. 
Maybe you have surrendered your life to Jesus. But if you're being honest, if you're being honest, the light is not shining through you as brightly as you know that it should. Maybe you're doing some things right now and you're hiding that light instead of putting that light on display. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you're struggling with that is keeping that light from shining as brightly as it ought to. Maybe there's some insecurity. Maybe there's some feelings of bitterness or anger or distrust, whatever it may be. I just want you to know, I want us to surrender all of that tonight. I want us to get rid of any obstacles that may be in our way, and I want us to commit to pursuing Jesus fully together. Wherever you are tonight, if God is stirring in your heart, I want to encourage you to respond. Here in a moment, the band's going to lead us in one more song, and myself and a couple of us are going to be in the back of the room. If you want to pray with us, we'd be honored to pray with you. But I just want us to surrender these moments to Jesus, to give ourselves to him fully. So Father, that's what we're committing to. God, Father, I just, I ask that you would move in us, that you would move through us. God, I ask that you would use us to shine brightly for your glory, that we would be people who are committed to being participants, not spectators, that we would focus on proximity, not performance. And God, I pray that you would use us to shine brightly for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Prince College Podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, you can check us out online at www.pabc.org backslash college, or you can follow us on social media at, at prince.college. We'll see you next time.